0: Welcome to Let's Talk Land, a land education talk show devoted to learning about land and farms, buying and selling, ownership, especially for real estate agents, and realtors. Learn from the experts. Hey guys, it's free land education. Hi, my name's Lou Jewell, and I'm an accredited land consultant with United Country Real Estate Sutton Properties, along with my co-host this morning, Teresa Martin. Good morning, Teresa.
1: Good morning, Lou. Are you awake? I'm awake. All
0: right we got a great guest today. Hey, buying or selling homes, land or farms in western Piedmont, North Carolina, or southern Virginia, just give us a shout. Hey, we'll help you out. Our office is at 102 East Main Street next to BB&T Bank in downtown Pilot Mountain, North Carolina. Our company website is www.allsuttonproperties.com. That's A-L-L-S-U-T-T-O-N dot com. All of our shows are dedicated to the Realtors Land Institute staff and members and our national website's www.rli.land.com. If you're buying or selling or interested in land, make sure you go to that website. These are the top land ladies and landmen in the country, so uh, work with the experts. We'd like to thank our sponsor, LandHub.com. Buying or selling land, LandHub is the place to be. Make sure you check the site out. Just a program note: Dr. Barbie's Acid Doctor Show will follow us again today. But Dr. Barbie, instead of doing a doctor show, he's playing Christmas music. So you'll enjoy that. So make sure you stay tuned for Dr. Barbie after this show. Hey, our guest this morning is John Boyd. Welcome, John.
2: Thanks,
3: Lou. Thanks, Teresa.
0: Where are you calling from?
3: Uh, I'm calling in from Greenville, South Carolina.
0: All right, down there in the in the foothills of the, uh, the tail end of the Blue Ridge, right? Beautiful country. I was, went through there back last fall. I taught a class, my four hour class down in uh, Brunswick and had my uh, eight o'clock class the next morning in, in Asheville, my two day class. So that was quite a haul from all the way across the state there. But uh, came through your backyard and uh, always love going down to Greenville Spartanburg area. It's, it's just a great, great part of the country. So uh, uh, we, we love it here. Yes, sir. Do you grow up down there?
3: actually been in Greenville
0: since 1982.
3: Okay. So I grew up up in Jacksonville, Florida.
0: Wow, that's a transition.
3: Came to to Greenville to go to Furman University in 1982 and uh, never left home. Never left to go back.
0: I had an offer to go run. I was state champion in 102, 20, 1966 and 67 in Myers Park in Charlotte and Relays and uh, had 54, 56 offers around the country, and Furman was one of them, but we used to have, uh, high schools, we used to have a spring uh, uh, track meet down there every year, and uh, they'd put in the all-weather track, and and, uh, Ralph Boston, the famous Olympic uh, broad jumper, triple jumper, was uh, one of the guests there, and got to spend some time with him, but I always loved going to Furman. I wish I'd gone to school there, but I didn't, but that's okay. That was then, and this is now, right, John?
3: That's great.
0: So you're the chief executive officer of Bankers Exchange. An experienced entrepreneur, John, is not uh, one to sit back and miss a chance when he sees a need. He addresses it. In 1992, he became aware of the difficulties people were having with the 1031 exchanges. He founded the first full-time qualified intermediary company in South Carolina. Wow, that's quite a laurel. John has been at the helm ever since, providing trustworthy expertise, for those involved in the 1031 Lycon Exchange, which is going to be our topic today, one of them, John's also a real estate license broker in North Carolina and South Carolina, as well as Series 7, 24, 27, and 63 securities license. He has a CPA. He was a CPA for more than 15 years. A Greenville man through and through John's degree in accounting is from the great school of Furman University, right there in Greenville. Wow. Bankers Exchange was founded in 1992 after John became aware of the difficulty people were having with the 1031 exchanges and at the helm ever since providing trustworthy expertise for those involved. in the 1031 exchange of any kind since 2009, John has been assisting developers with monetizing their South Carolina revitalization tax credits. Tax credit marketplace has been in since 2013 as a vehicle for matching tax credit investors with potential credit-generating projects. To date, tax credit marketplace has placed in excess of 60 billion in South Carolina tax credits. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit in your show today, if we can. Accordingly, John currently serves as the chairman of the TIC, that's Acronyms for Tenants and Common Properties, LLC, and its subsidiaries. Under his leadership, the TIC property syndicated 34 properties with a syndicated value of more than $1 billion. TIC Property Management LLC currently married more than 4 million square feet of office, retail, industrial properties on behalf of over 1,200 investors. You got quite an accomplishment there, young man.
3: Thanks, but I'm not
1: quite so young. <laughs> Me either. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Teresa's the only one that's young here.
1: Yeah.
0: So, what do you think about all this, Teresa? You ready to learn something?
1: I'm ready to learn something.
0: Yeah, you know anything about all this stuff?
1: I know a little bit about 1031s, just enough to get in trouble.
0: Yeah, well, that's what we, I'm your broken charge. We don't <laughs> want you to get in trouble. Uh-huh. So, John, just tell us a little about when, when, when was 1031? Now, explain what it is. It's, it's, it's a federal tax code, but uh, kind of the history of it and and uh, and a little bit of the transition because it's changed, especially in 2018, some of the laws changed
3: around for, for quite a while. actually so section 1031 is the current uh, section of the Internal Revenue Code that basically says that um, no gain shall be taxable when a taxpayer um, exchanges property held for investment uh, held for productive use in a trader or business or for investment exchanges that property for other property used in a trader business or held for investment so um, basically it's a section of the code that deals with non-recognition of gain and a lot of people think that this is a loophole but oddly um section 1031 or its predecessors have been around since 1921. wow um the tax the tax code didn't even come into existence until 1918-1919. And so uh, what we found is that early on, these transactions um, for non-recognition centered around um, a taxpayer who perhaps would trade with his neighbor because they had irregularly shaped parcels of land that they may be farming. Okay. And they found it more efficient. them permeate the tax code today. One is the taxpayer didn't have any cash on which to pay his taxes because he traded a piece of land for another piece of land. The second was there was a valuation challenge in this barter economy. Without a uh, w- without a medium such as cash, um, there was no way to put a value on the property that was transferred or the property that was received. And since we didn't have an appraiser running around on every corner appraising people's farmland, it was impractical for the IRS or the Treasury Department to establish a value for that transaction. And because of those two challenges, they just decided we'll uh, we'll defer the taxes on that transaction until a later point in time. Things rocked along pretty well until the mid-'70s. Um, And most of these transactions at that point were a one taxpayer trading another taxpayer directly for their piece of property, or it may involve a three-party exchange where taxpayer A trades with taxpayer C so that taxpayer C can then trade with taxpayer B. Um, All that took a a pretty drastic turn in the mid-'70s when a family in California Conveyed a piece of property to a timber company. Uh, it was the Starker family, right? And in, in lieu of taking a cash payment, they took a credit on the books of uh, the timber company. And as the timber, com- as the Starker family found property that they wanted, the timber company would go and buy that property and convey it to the uh, to the Starker family as consideration for this timber that the timber company had gotten several years before. Uh, The IRS challenged them. Uh, They went to court, uh, several different courts on several different fronts. Um, Both parties ultimately prevailed partially. And as a result of that, in 1984, we got new code section 1031 um, with the introduction of the deferred exchange and what is now very prevalent, prominent the 45-day identification period and the 180-day exchange period um, as well as the introduction of terms you may will discuss further today the qualified intermediary the qualified escrow uh, and the qualified trust Um, so it rocked along it was not it was not um, restricted to just real property you could exchange real property, you could exchange personal property, you could exchange sports contracts, livestock, um, really any property used in a trade or business or held for investment, watches, collectibles, uh, exotic cars. And uh, with the Tax Cut and Jobs Act of 2017, the uh, IRS eliminated everything except real property from the provisions of Section 1031.
0: John, that's about the best uh, I've ever heard it explained. That was so succinct and so clear. Uh, thank you for doing that. That's, uh, that's quite a history there. Uh, evolution. And like you said, the personal part, uh, that was dropped in 2017, which became what, the 2018 tax law, right? Uh, that's correct. Yeah. So, uh, for you guys out there, uh, uh, don't be trying to uh, trade art or Exotic cars, or because <laughs> they won't allow it now. One one caveat here is uh, uh, IRS is still going to collect their taxes. And this is that fifteen percent right now, capital gains, right? <clears throat> on 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 gain, um, gains on the investment is what they're going after.
3: That's correct. I mean, this. Keep in mind that Section ten thirty one is a deferral. Okay, it's not a forgiveness. Um, we like to frame it as. It's basically a tax-free loan from the federal government that is interest-free and never has to be. Uh, it can be resized if you want to. So you can do exchanges. You can link exchanges together over a series of years, um, continue to defer the tax. And if you plan correctly under current estate tax law, that deferred tax may never have to be paid. Um, if you are to die still owning that property that you traded into and your heirs benefit from a step-up in basis. So um, effectively, the deferred the deferred tax is an interest-free loan from Uncle Sam.
0: I want people, if they're not driving, to go to your website, uh, if it's convenient for them, which is wwwbankers com, and you can follow along with John in his presentation this morning. Uh, so that's www.bankers, plural, 1031.com. So make sure you go there, uh, but not if you're driving, <laughs> please. <laughs> so there's some other caveats involved in this too. You talked about the timing, and that's what we call time is of the essence. We have to put that on our real estate and contracts. In fact, uh, when we list property or sell property that's uh, 1031's involved, uh, that has to be included in the... Uh, and at least here in North Carolina Virginia, the two states I'm in, I assume South Carolina too, and sometimes I've used the, uh, the quotation, time is of the essence, which means that uh, the clock's ticking once that, uh, that process starts. Now, I can go identify, what, up to three properties or more that so, I want to exchange? Um, the process,
3: uh, um, and that's a great question. So there are restrictions to the number of properties that you can identify. So to kind of walk you back through the process, to back it up just a little bit, um, in a deferred exchange, you transfer the relinquished property, and that starts your time frame. Your time frame, uh, the day of transfer of the relinquished property is day zero. Uh, the first time frame you're dealing with is your identification period, and that's 45 days from the transfer of the relinquished property. That period expires at midnight on the 45th day following the transfer. Um During that 45-day period, you need to identify your replacement property, um, typically to the qualified intermediary, okay? Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about that momentarily.
0: John, I'm going to interrupt us because I wasn't watching the clock, okay? Our guest today is John Boyd. This is Let's Talk Land. Land Hub is our sponsor. Are you looking to buy or sell land? LandHub.com previews thousands of properties nationwide
1: off with the 45 day phase and that's where we identify the the replacement property so what's next
3: so after the 45 day identification period so you've got a hundred you've got um an additional 135 days for a total of 180 days in your exchange period to conclude uh the acquisition of your replacement properties so within that 180 days uh, the property has to be um, acquired. Title has to be, uh, t- uh title has to be uh, received by the taxpayer. Uh, interestingly, um, there are no extensions of these timeframes, uh, these 45 and 180-day timeframes um, provided by the internal revenue, even if those days fall on a Saturday, Sunday, or a legal holiday. The only place the in- Internal Revenue Code where extensions are not granted if deadlines fall on a Saturday Sunday or a legal holiday, the one exception to those deadlines is if you happen to fall in a presidentially declared disaster area uh, then uh, the treasury will grant extensions of those thirty uh the forty five and hundred and eighty day time frames.
0: John, what's going on with that with the with the covert right now? Have they extended that or they relaxed that a little?
3: bit of relief from the COVID. Um, They extended the deadlines um, for identification and acquisition um, that fell back uh, in the first and second quarters. We got until the middle of July um, to complete those exchanges if your deadlines fell in those periods of time. Those have since expired and uh, right now we are not under any uh, COVID adjustment for uh, 1031 exchange deadlines.
0: Because we just just closed one, Teresa and I did, that was a 1031 exchange on a 60-acre farm up in Virginia.
1: I have a favor. Uh Uh-oh. I have a favor. I am, the way that I learn is I I learn visually and through examples. Do you mind just giving me an example of how an exchange would work? Just a fictitious example, like how how you start and where you land. Why does it have to be fictitious? Well... (laughs)
0: I bet he's got some real-life examples. Well, some real-life examples. Okay.
1: I just need an example. I just w- would like to hear an average 1031, how it starts and where it finishes with with talking about right. a real something that really happened.
3: So, it, it, Teresa, that's a great question. So the exchange starts, the whole, the whole thought process starts long before you go to list your property or sell your property in that what does the broker estimate my property is worth? and what is my basis in that property? Do I have a gain? Okay, because it's important to realize section 1031 cannot be elected or waived. If you meet the requirements, then you have to report the transaction that way, whether there's a gain or a loss. You would never want to defer a loss in a 1031 exchange. So you start with the premise that a taxpayer yourself has a piece of property that's being sold at a gain. So let's, for the sake of this argument, assume you bought a piece of property for a half a million dollars. And when you bought that property, you put $250,000 down, piece of raw land. You put $250,000 down, and you financed $250,000 for 10 years, interest only. Okay? And you've now owned that piece of property for 10 years, and your notes come and due and you can't decide whether you want to refinance it or whether you really want to sell it, and a buyer comes to you and offers you a million and a half dollars for it. Mm. So you've got a piece of property you bought for $500,000, so that's your basis. You haven't depreciated it because it's raw land, and you've got basically what amounts to a million-dollar gain. You're selling for a million and a half dollars. We're going to ignore for a second transactional costs brokerage commissions, lawyers, deed stamps, those kinds of things, just to keep things simple. If you were to go to closing and take a check, you're going to get a check for $1,250,000 because the closing attorney is going to pay off that $250,000 loan and convey the property to the purchaser. You're going to pay capital gains tax on that $1,250,000 at whatever your rate is, 15%, maybe as high as 20%. If you're in a state that has state income tax, that could be another four, five, six, seven percent. If you're in a city like New York that has a city income tax, you could be adding another 10, 11, 12% on top of that. Wow. In addition, Mr. Obama is going to want to collect his tax for the net investment income tax of 3.8%. So these percentages add up very rapidly you can easily be looking at giving up half of your money half of your profit to the various taxing authorities you make the decision I want to pursue a 1031 exchange you write it into the contract that the seller intends to affect the 1031 exchange and the buyer agrees to cooperate at no liability cost or expense two reasons for doing that the 1031 exchange Requires that you assign your rights to that property um, and that contract, a portion of that contract, to the qualified intermediary. We'll talk about him in a momentarily. The second thing is, um, in order to do that, you want to, oh, the second thing is, it establishes the taxpayer's intent to exchange because the IRS does say that it must be the taxpayer's intent to exchange in order.
1: To receive mm, tax deferral. That was my next so question.
3: you've established your intent, and you've also gotten cooperation from the purchaser, and you've reserved the right to assign that contract. Okay? In the state of South Carolina, if a contract is silent as to assignability, it is assignable. So that doesn't create a problem. In some states, if it's, assi- if it's silent, then that action would be forbidden. Um, so that's very important. You, assign your, you sign your exchange agreement with your qualified intermediary, and you're going to go to closing, and you're going to sign the closing papers um, pretty much as, they, uh, as you normally would, with two exceptions. Number one, the settlement statement is going to list the seller as the qualified intermediary, in our case Banker Exchange LLC, as qualified intermediary for the taxpayer. Uh, and the proceeds from that sale, after paying the mortgage off and paying all the exchange expenses or all the transaction expenses, the net proceeds are going to be paid to the qualified intermediary. Okay, you're not going to walk away with any money. That's going to start your exchange process. Okay, um, the relationship between you and I, between Banker Exchange and the taxpayer, is governed by the exchange agreement. It talks about things such as when you have access to your funds, when and how you need to identify property, how you go about acquiring property, uh, putting up earnest money on replacement property. Those kinds of details are in the exchange agreement. So you find you're out looking and you find a piece of replacement property. Um, We've told you when your 45th day is. And for the sake of argument, your 45th day is December the 15th you've gone out and you found replacement property you've got three potential properties that you want to buy and each of those properties is a million and a half dollars so you're gonna submit to us a written document It's basically a form that we send you that says I'm gonna buy property a or property B or property C you can do any combination thereof if you want it doesn't have to be one property for one property you can actually acquire as many properties as you want but there are restrictions on what you can identify. So you're going to identify three properties to us, and that's going to lock into what you're able to purchase. Hopefully, you have one of those properties under contract and you've already started your due diligence um, because those are the only three properties that you can buy and qualify your transaction as a 1031 exchange. If all those properties sell to somebody else, If you decide all three of those properties are unsuitable that's unfortunate but you cannot replace those properties after the 45th day after midnight on the 45th day up until that point if you've identified something you can make substitutions that's why we typically don't even ask for your identification until the 40 uh, 40th day uh, or the 45th day okay we don't really want to see the list that you're contemplating on day 20 because it's gonna change. Now you've gotten through your due diligence, you've signed the contract, and uh, you've sent it over to us, and you've asked us to post the earnest money. We start preparing the exchange documents for the replacement property transfer, Uh, just the exchange documents, not the title documents. You've selected the title agent or the attorney to close the transaction, and you proceed to closing and you're gonna buy a million-and-a-half dollar piece of property well I only have a million two hundred fifty thousand dollars in your exchange account so you've made arrangements for a two hundred fifty thousand dollar loan from your local bank they're gonna bring the, the additional two hundred fifty thousand dollars so we're gonna send our million two fifty banks gonna send in two hundred fifty thousand dollars in this instance you have replaced your mortgage debt which is very important and you have reinvested all of your cash so on the surface it appears you have met your exchange requirement at closing the settlement statement is going to reflect banker exchange is qualified intermediary for the taxpayer for you the deed is going to come directly from the seller directly to you this is a, a concept that we call direct deeding and it is allowed by the IRS um, basically is an accommodation to the qualified intermediary industry and it does two things. number one, it prevents the uh, uh, assessment of duplicate uh, deed stamps. okay If the seller were to transfer it to me and I were to transfer it to you, we would have to put stamps on both of those deeds. So the IRS allows for this transaction, the seller to convey it directly to you. The second thing it does, Is it keeps the qualified intermediary out of the chain of title if there's an environmental issue that comes up with that property at some point in time in the future okay so what you did is you sold the deed you signed the deed on the front end your money went to a qualified intermediary he forwarded your money to the purchaser I mean to the seller of the replacement property you got the deed to the replacement property you gave up a piece of property you received a piece of property the exchange agreement makes those two transactions interrelated and therefore the IRS grants tax deferral status okay um, then the only thing you have left to do is to provide the information to your tax preparer and he's going to put it on form 8824 to report the details of the exchange uh, if you if you have a uh, mortgage boot what we call mortgage relief, You didn't have as much mortgage on the replacement property as you had on the relinquished property that's mortgage relief and that difference is taxable or if you have cash left over in your exchange account that money is taxable so um, he would report that and you would pay the taxes um, accordingly
0: the exchange
3: is reported in the year that the relinquished property is transferred so going back in our time frames when we talk about 180 days the code actually says that your exchange period expires at the earlier of the due date of your tax return or 180 days from the transfer of the relinquished property so if you're transferring property in this part of the year it's really I think October 17th is the breakpoint in order to get a full 180 days going to need to file an extension of your tax return. Otherwise, your exchange period is going to expire on April the 15th. So that's very important. Um, The second thing is, you've got to have acquired your replacement property to be able to report the details on 8824. And so that's the other uh, warning sign that everything has to be done before you can file your 2000. 20 tax return if you want to get the full 180 days it's very simple you just file for an automatic extension to file your tax return
1: Um, so um, conclude
3: your process (laughs) then uh, you would your accountant would pick up your your new property Um, maybe it's a rental property it's got income it's depreciable Um, one thing that's very important is the basis that you had in the old property carries over to the new property? Okay? Said a little bit differently, we think about basis as being the amount of money that we pay for something. And so if you looked at your new property and you said, well, I paid a million and a half dollars for it, so my basis is a million and a half. Well, we're gonna reduce that basis by the amount of gain that you had deferred. In this case, it was a million dollars. Okay? And so that's going to reduce your basis down to $500,000. Remember what the basis was in your relinquished property, what you originally paid for? It, it was that same $500,000. Right. So um, that's a little uh, check and balance to make sure that you got your basis right in your new property. Uh, but it's important to realize we do not get a tax deferral and a step-up in basis.
0: Hey, our guest today is John Boyd. This is Let's Talk Land, our sponsor is landhub.com view thousands of properties for sale at landhub.com
1: john that was a, a lot of information it was very informative but what i'm sitting here wondering is how many real estate agents actually really know all of this information and where do you go to get to get educated about this about 1031s so teresa
3: that's a great question so um If you go to our website, www.bankers1031.com, you'll find a series of um, informative videos, okay? They're instructional videos. Uh, They were designed to educate our centers of influence, our bankers, our attorneys, our real estate friends, um, about 1031. They're designed to give you a working knowledge, not make you an expert. And um, you can use those as a baseline. Uh, We also offer... Um, in our office, uh, lunch and learn seminars, and in 2021, uh, 2021 we will be offering those same uh, seminars on a Zoom basis. And so uh, you'll be able to log in, join a meeting on Zoom, or even pick it up on YouTube uh, next year and see presentations on a variety of topics on 1031. Everything from uh, the basics of 1031 to reverse or construction exchanges, identification rules, uh, documenting exchanges. Uh, we get big attendance out of that one from our attorney friends who work with us a lot during the year, but they don't really understand what they're doing. They want a better understanding. And so, um, there's great education on the web and I would encourage you to go to www.bankers1031.com and see what's out there. Additionally, if you've got a client with interest, you're always welcome to call, call our office for a free consultation. There's no cost. Um, you can give us a ring, and uh, we'll be more than happy to talk with your client, talk with you about how a 1031
0: might fit. And you, you can conference that, oh. so you're on the call, too, and you're right. and right there with your client.
1: Are there is there a seminar that talks about how to understand what like exchanges are, yeah. like what the so rules are? Yeah, a basic
3: seminar will cover what qualifies as like-kind exchange. Um, It covers uh, qualifying property, so that's what we call qualifying use because um, there's a lot of misconception around that. I'll touch on it real briefly. Um, It's really any property that's held for productive use, uh, used in a trader business, or held for investment qualifies for exchange. So it can be land, it can be apartments, it can be retail, commercial. a few things are specifically excluded from 1031 from a real estate standpoint. One of those is your principal residence. It's covered by a different section of the code, 121. Um, also, vacation and second homes do not qualify. We don't have clients that have vacation and second homes. Our clients own uh, resort rental. Okay, The difference is, interest.
1: Flip houses don't generally fall in 1031s. Okay. Hey, Just to clarify
0: to our listening audience, John, the biggest confusion I have when I teach the class over the years is the words, like kind. And it doesn't mean apple for apple. It means apple for orange or banana or grapefruit or a basket that's holding it. So uh, uh, as long as it meets those criteria that you just brilliantly c- explained, uh, you, you, you know, if you like her client she was talking about at break uh, has apartments. You know, they can do a ten thirty one, and they can go buy what we want to talk about next is these tenants in common, which is the old uh, acronym for it, and uh, or right. th- they could buy other types of properties, up to three properties. So, That's like, so like kind is misleading.
3: Keep in mind, yeah. So keep in mind, like kind refers to the nature or the character of the property not its grade or its quality Bingo. what, what does that mean nature or character um, used in a trader business or held for investment okay that's what you're looking for so if it's if it's held for investment or used in a trader business it's qualifying property if it um, th- doesn't meet that criteria then it's not eligible property on the relinquished side or the replacement side both sides have to qualify okay so what's that mean it's, not, it's about its nature or character, not its grade or its quality. So you can trade unimproved land for improved land. You can trade apartments for uh, self-storage. You can trade self-storage for single-tenant net lease drugstore. You can trade um, into a, uh, a ground lease where you're buying the fee interest and it's already subject to a ground lease to somebody like McDonald's or Chick-fil-A. So those all refer to the grade or the quality, not the nature or character. So it's very important. Uh, We can help you navigate through those. If you have a question, give us a call, uh, 864-271-1449 is the the number. Um, And that's a perfect segue into um, multi-owner situations, I think, that you were alluding to, uh, Lou.
0: Yeah, this is is very exciting. I want to spend some time on this. I
1: have one question before we move on. Well, I have another one. Sorry. Um, so my client, if he sells his apartments and he buys storage units, that qualifies. But what if he's, that's correct. What if he buys a warehouse facility and upfits it for storage? Or is that breaking some kind of rule? Is that disqualifying? So,
3: no, that's not breaking the rules. Okay. But the IRS does not recognize improvements that you make after you own a piece of property. So if he were to do that, there's two things he would be looking at number one is he paying enough for the empty big box okay the warehouse as you call it right um, to meet his exchange requirement or does he need part of the upfit value to be included in order to meet that exchange requirement if he needs the latter if the latter is true he needs part of those improvements he's going to do what's called a construction or an improvement exchange Those are possible. Um, They require what we uh, refer to as an exchange accommodating title holder that holds the title to the replacement property during that period of construction. Other than that, um, we do probably 25 to 30 of those transactions every year where somebody's making improvements to their replacement property in order to meet their exchange requirement. Perfect. So um, we can talk more in detail if you've got specifics.
1: All right. That sounds good.
0: So let's learn about tenants in common.
3: So, and that's a great question. So oftentimes, um, back, honestly, back in about 1996, 1997, I was getting phone calls and they were very familiar sounding, okay? And they started, they accelerated and they all sounded the same. John, I want to do a 1031 exchange, but I can't find a piece of replacement property. I said, well, what are you looking for? I want a high-credit tenant, long-term lease, no management, no maintenance. Oh, you want me to send you a check every month? (laughs) Exactly. Uh, How much money do you have? I have $250,000. I have $500,000. I have $750,000. I got a million bucks. Good luck, because you weren't going to find what you were looking for, okay? You didn't have enough money to buy what you wanted. So... uh, There was an industry that was uh, in its infancy back in 2000, 2001, really started on the West Coast. Um, The three big players, Bill Paso, um, Tony Thompson, um, were uh, two of the big ones out West. Um, And um, it was a tenant-in-common industry. And what they had done is they had had, uh, established a structure that worked for 1031 for multiple people to pool their money and buy a single asset so they could buy a better quality asset. I was not even aware that this industry was in its infancy in California and I engaged a lawyer in Greenville to help me put together a similar model and that was the genesis for TIC properties. So we would buy an institutional grade property, first property that we bought was a 90,000 square foot uh, facility leased to FedEx for 10 years Thirteen investors put up $5.7 million, all cash. I didn't want to have interest rate risk, and I didn't want to have refinance risk, and I didn't know if FedEx was going to stick around after the 120th month or not, and they bought that property, and they got rent for 120 months. Well, in that 120-month period, FedEx decided to expand not once but twice. Uh, Those customers are now undergoing their third expansion uh, by FedEx, uh, FedEx's current lease term will take them through 20 years, so my, the, the investors would have gotten cash flow for 20 years. Um, and if FedEx signs the most recent extension, uh, it will be 25 years. Okay, They enjoy a check every month um, from their investment. Okay, um, That was an unleveraged deal. That was a huge industry going into 2007-2008. Um we did 34 transactions with close to a billion dollars of market value, and the recession of 2008, um, as Warren Buffett says, you see who's swimming naked when the tide goes out. Yeah. Well, that was where the fa- the flaws in the structure became um, very apparent, because in a tenant-in-common structure, the IRS is looking for certain characteristics and they really um said that we want the investors to have four decisions with unit uh unanimous consent required the sale of the property the refinancing of the property the releasing of the property and the annual hiring of the property manager all required unanimous consent okay it didn't take but one rogue investor to create problems for everybody else and when the great recession happened and problems uh Exposed themselves because properties were overleveraged. Um, it was it became very nasty. Uh, the largest sponsor in the country went bankrupt. We acquired some of their property management out of uh, the bankruptcy proceedings uh, and and managed those through disposition. Some of them were sold. Some of them were foreclosed on. Um, it just it was a there were significant flaws that were exposed. I still believe that it's a great concept, properly put together. About 2008, a lawyer out of Chicago, Illinois, by the name of Arnie Harrison, who has since passed away, on behalf of Inland Capital, had um, petitioned the IRS for approval that the Delaware Statutory Trust, which was a fixed asset trust legal entity formed in Delaware, that a beneficial interest was eligible for 1031 exchange, and as a result, um, they were ultimately approved as a structure, and it removes a significant number of the problems created by tenants in common. Okay, the challenge with tenants in common is if you had a leveraged deal, everybody had to have a single-member bankruptcy remote entity, everybody had to submit financial information to. The lender everybody had to be approved by the lender and it was and if one person died uh, there were just unseen at the time unseen unknown challenges with that structure from a loan standpoint the Delaware statutory trust allows more investors you've got similar asset classes sponsors doing apartments sponsors doing retail industrial somebody called me the other day uh, they're doing an Amazon Distribution Center as a uh, Delaware Statutory Trust. Um, the nice thing is, is you, can, you can buy the exact size of the property that you need to meet your need, either from a cash standpoint or from a debt standpoint. If you need $463,000 worth of it, you can buy $463,000 um, one. It closes very quickly, and there's no qualification for you on the loan, as uh, when you come into the deal, the the loan is typically non-recourse to the beneficial owners, um, and so it's a much cleaner, easier process. Particularly, uh, the other thing is, if things get sideways, the power is vested in a trustee uh, who is typically affiliated with the sponsor, and he has the ability to solve. Almost all problems associated with that property, there are several things that the Delaware Statutory Trust entity itself and the IRS don't allow you to do. They are referred to as the seven deadly sins, and some of those are you can't release the property, um, you can't refinance the property, uh, and so a lot of these programs have set lifespans that coincide with the maturity of the loan. Uh, They did put a safety harness on them, if you will. They gave you an escape hatch. It's called the springing LLC. And if you have a DSP that goes sideways by filing one document with the Delaware Secretary of State, the Delaware Statutory Trust becomes a manager-managed, multi-member LLC. That in itself is not a taxable transaction. Okay, that doesn't trigger your tax. But it puts you into an LLC that unless they dissolve the LLC and distribute the property to the individual beneficial owners um, would prevent those owners from doing another 1031 when that property is sold. So um, a lot of the challenges have been fixed. Um, Still not a perfect solution. I would challenge you if you're looking at that solution, number one, they are sold through securities brokers. So they're sold through a typically a reg D private placement. You'll find some of them on websites such as um, crowdfunding sites um, that cater to the real estate market. Um, But uh, for the most part, I would encourage you if that's what you're thinking about, do your due diligence on your sponsor and understand what it is you're buying. Unfortunately, early on, the tenant and common investors didn't understand what they were buying. The reps didn't do a very good job of explaining it. And consequently, um, when things went sideways, it turned out to be a
0: disaster. You got all that, oh. Teresa?
1: Uh, half of it. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting here thinking, God, this is so much information. <laughs> well, you got your notes. You well, I'm
3: looking at this you're Baker's Exchange to take, ebook you're on here. To take, you know, what amounts to basically, you know, 100 years of information and cram it into uh, 60, 60 minutes? It's
0: tough. <laughs> Less than 60. A couple questions, John. So you have inventory that you could place Teresa's client in right now that wants to sell their apartments, but don't those fill up and then you got to go find another property?
3: So uh, that's an interesting question, Luke. We are not currently syndicating property. Okay. Okay. Um, are you referring the reason we're not is i, I struggled you know the, the stories that we heard from investors during the great recession um really took a toll on me personally um from a you know they were losing um the, the projects were being sold very rapidly the clients didn't understand what they were buying so i'm not currently syndicating i do know several firms that have um that do offer those kind of programs um very familiar with the principles i've had long-standing relationships with them
0: um so you can do referral many years yeah you can do referrals right Um, uh
3: i can or i can find somebody that can refer you to them yeah um so the, the challenge is what you don't want that's probably not where a real estate broker wants their client to go um simply because um Without being securities licensed, the real estate agent has no way of getting paid.
0: Exactly. Well, that the ain't no good. The broker
3: cannot share <laughs> commissions with an unlicensed person. Right. So, although you get the sale of the farm, you're not going to get paid on any of the replacement property um, unless you have a securities license. So, um, but yes, there are uh, great there are great reps out there that can do a fantastic job for people um, who have the client's best interests.
0: Um, at heart. So I inherited a 10-story building, a multi-office building, <clears throat> and um, you know it's it's debt-free, and um, it's now mine, and uh, I want to put my building into one of these vehicles. Can I do that?
3: So there are vehicles that would allow you to trade your interest in that property for um,
0: multi multi investors
3: for a uh, basically a diversified portfolio okay all right that's going to be that's going to be a different type of transaction it's called a 721 UPREAT. Um and basically you're going to contribute your building to an operating partnership in exchange for operating partnership units those operating partnership units are they they mirror a uh, the common stock of what may be a non non-traded REIT, or may even be a publicly traded REIT, that would allow you at some point in the future to convert to the shares of the REIT tax-free, and then dispose of your shares um, when you're uh, as you do that, OK? So it's a multi-step process to do that. A lot of people do that. Um, great firm out of Denver, Colorado does a lot of that. Um, that um, that I'm familiar with uh, so that's a possibility you mentioned something at the very beginning of that scenario Lou that I want to come back to okay you inherited right so the first question I would have is how long ago did you inherit that property and do you really have a gain or was the basis on the date of death equal to what you're sell what that's it's what up. it would sell for today right because you may be able to take that ten million dollars in cash and put it in your pocket
0: right
1: I think I like that better, don't you? Trish? I would tell you, I think this man is the smartest man I've ever talked to in my life.
0: He's pretty smart.
1: <laughs> he is pretty smart. Like, he must be 100 years old to have acquired all this knowledge. No, <laughs> got... I just feel 100 years old. This life I've
0: lived,
3: you'd feel 100 years old, too.
1: Well, you've got a lot of knowledge in your head. <laughs> Called experience. You'll get there someday. Yeah, I don't know That's if I live long yours. enough. You know? This is the most exciting show. We've done a lot of good shows, but I think, this is, to me, this is the most exciting show that we've done.
0: So what have you learned, Teresa?
1: That there's a whole lot more to learn. <laughs> 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 I've learned to go to Banker Exchange and look at these seminars.
0: Yeah, those are going to be great. That's
1: what I've learned.
0: <laughs> so, John, what else can you tell us? we got about well, four minutes. Well, you know,
3: so, you know, and I'm not sure
0: what, how much time we have left. You have about four minutes. The, 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 the qualified intermediary
3: business is, is a highly unregulated, it's a predominantly unregulated business. There's like three states that require licensing. Other than that, the IRS has said you can't do business with your attorney, your accountant, your real estate agent, a family member, or anybody you've had an agency relationship with in the last 24 months prior to the sale of your relinquished property. That's everybody you trust. Yep. They're requiring you to give your money, probably the most money you've ever seen in your life, to an absolute perfect stranger. So what do I look for when I'm looking for a qualified intermediary? First and foremost, ask your friends for referrals. Ask your broker for a referral. Number two, experience. How much experience do they have in this industry or are they new? Number three, what's their background and their credentials? In my case, I was a CPA. I have a fairly... Good understanding of the tax law and how the various pieces work additionally you want to make sure that your qualified intermediary is bonded and that they are insured okay Um, and you want to ask them how are my funds held and what do you invest in okay because um, and how are the funds held it's very important that each of those accounts each client's funds be held in a separate segregated account and not in a pooled investment fund the second thing is they need to be invested in something with daily liquidity such as a uh, FDIC insured money market or a bank money market account the largest failure of a qualified intermediary in the country was not for malfeasance okay it was because the qualified intermediary in a chase to get yield for himself and for his clients on the money he had on deposit invested in commercial paper instead of daily liquidity and he ended up with a liquidity situation during the Great Recession he could not get he could not convert his commercial paper back into cash and be able to acquire the replacement property subsequently he defaulted and it actually bankrupted one of the largest title insurance companies in America Land America Exchange took land america title insurance under wow. and it's unfortunate but that's why we preach segregated accounts daily liquidity and we have since we opened our doors in 1992
0: what what is the typical fee for your for your services or for the industry what do what you what do you look so for?
3: you're going to see fees all over the board yeah you know you're going to find you know some people may do it for 250 dollars we get we don't have the ability to do that profitably um, so our fee is a flat fee. It's not based on a transaction size. Uh, it's fifteen hundred dollars uh, to manage your transaction from cradle to grave, regardless of the size of the transaction.
0: And then the funds that you're holding, are you in, is is that an uh, interest type uh, vehicle?
3: So we have uh, we have four banking partners that we currently work with. All of them very financially strong, and so yeah, they do pay interest on the account. Um, we pay, uh, and it's typical in the industry, the QI is going to pay a portion, of, should pay a portion of that interest to the taxpayer, and they're probably going to retain a portion of it for themselves, um, which, if you think about it, is an equitable way of doing things. You may have a million dollars on deposit with us, but we may have a hundred million dollars on deposit all the time with the bank. So, what they're willing to pay you for a million dollars for 180 days is a lot less than they're willing to pay us for a hundred million dollars. Um, all the time so there's typically some sort of interest rate split um on the deposit earnings
0: john with one minute what's your final words we get you up in the morning um,
3: <laughs> uh, well the first thing that uh, when i when i started my very first day on the job at a cpa firm out of college the senior partner told me john he said a tax dollar deferred is a tax dollar saved," and i've kind of taken that to heart so if you can defer paying the government um, i think it's a smart thing to do as long as it fits into your long-term plan um, here again don't let the tax tail wag the dog okay don't don't make a decision solely based on the tax impact
0: so our guest today's How been to our guest today's been john boyd thank you john chief executive officer of bankers exchange in greenville south carolina their website's wwwbankersplural 1031.com, and I'll put your uh, your website and your uh, email only on the uh, master website, which is letstalkland.net. So you've been a great guest today. Hang around for a second, and we'll, we'll uh, send you off, okay? Thank
2: great,
0: you. For, thanks. Thank you for joining us today. Let us know how you like the show. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to suggest, we would appreciate them. All of our questions are welcome, and all of our guests may be emailed with your questions as well. This show is for the public and, most importantly, for real estate agents who do not have a source of land education. All of our shows are downloaded after the show this morning on our master website, www.letstalkland.net. Letstalkland.net. Also, you'll find us on Spotify and Podbean. Teresa, how do they get in touch with you? Mm-hmm.
1: They can email me at Teresa, T-E-R-E-S-A dot MyLandPro at gmail.com or give me a call at 336-209-2937.
0: And my email is Lou, L-O-U, at MyLandPro.com. And my cell number is 336-669-1405. Our sponsor is LandHub.com. If you're looking to buy or sell land, LandHub.com previews thousands of properties nationwide. Check them out. Rodney, how they get in touch with us here at the station?
2: Well, Lou, they can go to our website. Go to wkte1090.com, and also they can download the Simple Radio app. How simple is it? It is really simple. Even Shadow did it. No way. Yeah, put it on your phone. Did he?
0: Yeah, she yeah. did. I forgot about that. That's yeah. been a long time ago. It has been, yeah. But uh, we're beach music and oldies, and guess what? What? We only play
2: happy music. That's right. Get you in a good mood, and now we're doing all kinds of happy music.
0: Yeah, we're doing Christmas music. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Dr. Barbie coming up is going to have some very special songs he picked out Uh, That's right, yes. (laughs) And uh, we uh, won a couple awards.
2: Yeah, for uh, five years in a row, being the top uh, beach and oldies radio station on the East Coast.
0: East Coast, meaning from Maine to Florida? Yeah,
2: even down there where uh, Big John's at.
0: He can listen to it, right? That's right, that simple radio app. Yes, he can. And you won a nice award.
2: Yeah, last year, the Reader's Choice Award for the Announcer of the Year. wonder why. Uh, I don't know. You're in the running, I think, this year no, they said. No, 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 no. Or Teresa. Yeah, yeah it was Teresa, and I Teresa, think. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get her on
1: there.
0: yeah. <laughs> hey, thank you for joining us today. Stay tuned for Dr. Barbie's special Christmas show.